All right, Mots, we are back. Episode 61 of The Rink Shrinks. We got a great episode with Chris Versteeg coming on, talking about his new app and also his career. What do you say? You ready to roll? Let's go. All right, Mots, uh, hockey season just came to a close here. We're in the middle of tryouts, uh, which is always exciting and stressful times. Uh, how are you feeling about everything? Well, you know, it's kind of a long season. It's nice to have, you know, a little break uh, after the tryouts. So get through these tryouts. Uh, my daughter has her tryouts going. My son's out to baseball, uh, living a nice life down in Florida, though. So I would like to come back as him, at, you know, if I was able to come back. But, uh, yeah, getting back into baseball, he got a few reps in, had some tryouts last week. So as far as the, the hockey tryouts, it's just one of those things you, you see – um, you know, these, these club teams wanting to better their team, you know, you, you're a coach, so you want to better your team. If this player is interested to come on board, um, as far as, you know, existing players trying to work their way up, you know, especially in the girl side, it's that two years that they have, um, you know, it's not always a guarantee that if you're on the middle team that you're going to make the top team. So it's really about where you slot and, and what type of personnel that, um, you know, the coaches bring in and, you know, just trying to put your best uh, foot forward or skate forward when you get out there. And like we, we posted is like, have have fun, plenty of strengths, and don't overthink tryouts. Yeah, no, it's well said. Uh, it's always stressful time for the players and parents and people moving teams, people coming in. I know, you know, we've had to make some difficult changes um, with my teams, which isn't always easy. Kids coming, kids going, it, it's, you know, you meet so many good people, which is, which is, that's the hottest thing. And, you know, unfortunately as a coach, a lot of times you do want to make improvements. And my motto has always been like, not many, you know, you see some teams around the league that will go and, and, you know, they blow teams up. They're adding six, seven, eight guys and, oh, we want to get better. And my model's always been, you know, if you can have an opportunity to add two or three good players, um, then you do so because, you know, you owe it to the rest of the team to try to get better. And, you know, when you do play outside the league in different tournaments and things like that, it's always fun to to compete with those highly ranked teams. Yeah, and before we go any further, happy St. Patrick's Day! Oh yeah, St. Patty's Day. We got our we got our matching shirts on. That's cute. We should have gotten the like the the shamrock tats on the face or something. Yeah, I'm more of a neck tattoo guy. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of that, I did see a lot of shamrock uh, and neck tats up in Marlboro this past weekend. I saw Brooks team. Uh, they were playing. I know they were in the state tournament. There was a lot of girls going on out in Marlboro. We had our playoffs, but how'd those guys do? Uh, they went two and one, uh, ended the season on a shootout, which is pretty cool. So, you know, anytime. It's you, fun. Yeah. But I, I heard that there was some girls being like, I don't want to go. Yeah, I don't want to go. But that's the, the thing. You want to take uh, advantage of those opportunities. Who cares if you miss? You know, but it, that excitement of a penalty shot or a shootout, it's uh, something that you'll always remember. So, and my little advice is, you know, don't worry about the outcome and just enjoy the uh, the, the time while, you, while you're doing it. Yeah, that's, I mean, just right before they go out, you show them that video of Marshawn. Where was that when he missed, missed the puck? He skated over <laughs> it. He skated over it. Uh, that was that was hilarious. I, like I said, we uh, I saw Brooke and those guys. They were upset. It was hilarious. All the girls came upstairs. They were all crying after the game. And and I saw Courtney. She's like, they just won in a shootout. I don't know why they're crying, but it was it was 
I was I was dying laughing the difference with the girls and the boys and the amount of emotion that they were showing out there where I got my guys that are just running to go play in the bubble hockey tank, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think it was more because the season was over and, you know, she's not going to be with that group, but she definitely wears her uh, emotions on her sleeve and she comes up with a little furnace face with some, uh, you know, some waterworks in the eyes. It's uh, it's pretty cute to, to know how passionate they are. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh we had a uh, a good tournament as well. I'm sorry, not not tournament, but um, good wins on Saturday where both of my own nine and my 11 team ended up qualifying for the finals. Uh, good games, good semifinal games, and then we ended up playing the the wagon train known as uh, the Mid Fairfield Junior Rangers, and a uh, couple good games uh, at the 09 and 11 level. And between two really good teams, I thought our team was you know both of our teams were were really good, but good program i was ended up coming out on the on the losing end so i was 0-2 on sunday so i was not too happy uh sean haggerty coaches both those teams bc guy i mean the guy just just mopped the floor with me i wasn't i wasn't too i i, I said to him afterwards i'm like dude if i grab my sta- skates can we just play one-on-one and and we'll do like a good in bombay versus uh the coach from iceland there whatever his name was and uh and it, like, I got to try to, I, like, I wasn't, I wouldn't have, if it was a one-on-one game, me and him, I think I, I would have taken him. Yeah, but he has way better hair, just like the guy from Iceland, <laughs> you know, slicked back and. The, oh, the, what's his name? The wolf, the, the dentist or something, right? Yeah, it was, I mean, I know the Hags had, had some good, good flow back in the day and uh, I haven't seen him skate in a while, but uh, that's unfortunate. But to, to get to the other finals and they do have a, a great club down there in mid Fairfield, so. Congrats to the boys for making that that far, and uh, you just got out coached. That's all. <laughs> yeah, when in doubt, like my father always said, uh, I coach great. You guys suck. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that wasn't my uh, my post game uh, speech. I blame the parents instead of uh, instead of the kids, as usual. Um, speaking of which, in, in rankings and in, in highly team uh, highly uh, ranked teams, we we had a great partnership uh, announcement with this. With the uh, my hockey rankings guys, um, very excited to partner up with Neil and Ian Lodine. Uh, they're going to be providing, you know, we're we're working with them and trying to get their message and the message that they want uh, out there, which is really cool and exciting, uh, exciting times for us and for them. It's been great communicating with them and uh, make sure you guys chime in and, and add some questions and stuff like that. We got one to start out, but you want to talk about those guys first? Yeah, it's been great. You know, that they're we're aligned with what we want to kind of get out there. It's education and educating about the process and the my hockey rankings and how they can be used. Uh, it's really, you know, from the outside, sometimes it, it can be, you know, something that has been dictating some people's decisions. And that's not what we really want. We want it to be able to, you know, play against, uh, you know, talent appropriate teams, ranked teams. And, you know, as you get younger, they're really going to be, you know, constructing these um, ratings versus rankings. And, you know, we'll be, uh, you know, keeping you informed on that. But great uh, to have uh, a partnership with those guys, great guys and, you know, really good hockey guys to to uh, to kind of get the message and, and spread the reach on on the right things to do. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start it off. We got a question, the my hockey rankings question of the week. Uh this is from Josh, uh, who's in Bow Valley. How can the Bow Valley Timberwolves Pee Double A team be ranked lower than the Northwest Stars and Humboldt Broncos? They beat both of those teams and have a better record. 
Uh, do you you got an answer off the top of your head? Uh, I'm sure. I mean, just from well, off, I want to I want to hear you off the cuff. Yeah, off the cuff, I would just say, you know, there are, uh, you know, there is an algorithm that uh, Neil has put together, and it definitely can play into even if you beat a team. You know, there's maybe strength of uh, rec, I mean, uh, schedule. Um, you know, a couple other factors that come into it. So just because you have a winging record, I don't think that that would be the uh, end all be all just to be ranked higher. Yeah, and I would think that you know just because you beat those teams once or twice, um, or just those two, like what's your record in the other games? You know what I mean. But uh, and and I would also compare the ranking systems a little bit. And I heard this analogy; it's it's similar to like a golf handicap system, right? So just because I shoot like uh, you know two rounds in the seventies. It doesn't, you know, they look at the entire picture, right? And all your rounds that you played, all your games. So not just those two games. And the the algorithm that 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 you know my hockey rankings works on is based on all of those, you know, that entire makeup. Like, you know, your entire, you know, for you, your entire seventy five rounds that you played last summer. For me, the 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 you know, fifteen to twenty. You know what I mean? But it throws, you know, it, it doesn't just go off your two best rounds, right? Like your your two best games. It also factor in those, you know, those shows you came out and, and shot in the high nineties. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, you know, it, it it's similar to that um, that handicap system, and and you know, and it's I would say the same thing. Like if you're a thirtieth ranked team, or if you're let's say the fifteenth ranked team, and you lose to the thirty thirtieth ranked team, you don't automatically now drop down to number thirty. You know what I mean? Right. So. Um, you know, but the, 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 I guess the actual answer is, uh, and this is directly from, uh, from Ian. Uh, yes, it seems wrong, but a team that you, a team that you have a winning record against can be ranked ahead of you. It's all in the mathematics. It depends on who else your team has played and how well you did, as well as who the other team has played and how well they did. In a, in a season of games, there can, a lo- can be a lot of different anomalies. So, yeah, that's, I mean, we kind of, broad stroked it with a couple of different terms, but that's really the answer, right? So coming from the source and um, really strength of schedule and, you know, how those other teams played against, you know, other competitions. So that's, uh, that's the, the full answer for, uh, for Josh from Bow Valley, but uh, keep the, the questions coming in regarding the, my hockey rankings and we'll get to them uh, each week. Yeah. We'll check out those handicaps too. <laughs> yeah. Soon enough. Sam <laughs> Soon enough. Uh, did you uh, happen to check out this? I know Bruce Boudreaux had a question last night about it, and uh, we got the wheels versus doors. Do, like, I mean, this is complete nonsense, but did, do you think that there's more wheels or doors in, I don't know, in the world? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I have no clue why someone would even care to talk about this. <laughs> it's just a waste of breath. Like, I'm wasting my breath right now, but whatever. Uh, I would, if I had to guess or just have like an educated guess, I would say wheels because there's four wheels on a car, semi tractor trailer trucks, uh, across the country. It's just in the world, you know, there's a lot of houses, but I would say there's more per like vehicle versus just one house. Who knows? I don't, I actually, you know, there's apartments and shit. (laughs) I don't really care to talk about this. (laughs) It's complete nonsense. But think of all the doors you have in your house. Uh, like, oh, look yeah. at you. Like, you're just thinking about your front and back door. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. don't just have two doors. Ah. You got about 720 doors in your house. I guess, uh, I guess it's making you think a little bit. Yeah, but it's what, definitely making you think, but it's complete. Like, who gives a? 
uh, yeah, waste of breath, nonsense. But I guess you're going wheels. I'm going doors. All right. Yeah, we'll I see. If we can get some real data. I don't know if there'll ever be an answer. It's just people talking about it for no reason. <laughs> yeah, and like nothing ever comes of it. Uh, all right. Did you happen to catch this? Uh, I know it was on our Instagram, but a lot of uh, listeners aren't on there. But this rogue whistle in the Mass uh, State semifinal game, it was, uh, like I said, Mass State semifinals between Norwood and Gloucester. I actually talked to a guy at the game, and in the Instagram post that we did, did it did do it justice. But play was going on, middle of the game, and there was just an, an errant whistle that, that happened in the, in the stands. And uh, – Everybody on the ice stopped except the guy with the puck and happened to be um, late in the game. Late in the game. Of course, it was the best player on on the team had the puck. He goes in on a breakaway, and I believe Gloucester ended up winning the game like 6-4. to four. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to uh, our good friend Colin White about this, uh, who will be an uh, upcoming uh, guest. Upcoming guest, uh, but – you know, we just kind of talked it out, and it, I mean, the the officials did huddle, but it's you know, kind of a in the moment you have to react because it's not common. There's no nothing in the playbook per se or the rule book, I should say, to to identify this situation and make it right. But I will say that this should have been a a sense for the from the refs because of the time of the game, the so, you know, like the the weight of the games, you know, to go to the state championship. Um, where they had to make a, a really tough call, but I would say no goal, face off at center ice, and make an announcement. If there is another whistle, the home team gets a penalty from the stands. You know, if there's another whistle. What if it's a neutral site? Oh, good question. Because it's state tournament games. So well, it yeah, it probably was, but uh, you know what? That's a great question. But, uh, or good point. Yeah, so if, I would just say the the play would be called uh called dead again if there's a whistle no matter where it is so that yeah i mean it's just a a brutal situation terrible outcome for those players uh to lose uh their season even for the seniors to to end uh on a game like that or a situation like that so you know let's just let's just be uh, respectful fans and i mean you can shout and do whatever but to dictate uh the outcome of the game right to have an impact on the outcome of the game is what's what makes it the most difficult um i think you guys said it good and looking forward to that whitey interview that's coming up soon that's a that's a good one uh we'll have that for you guys in the next couple weeks um but uh, you know speaking of high school hockey i know in massachusetts and i know you know you 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 follow it on the internet which i think you know upcoming we got to get out to that minnesota state high school oh. tournament that'll be that'll be a blast i, I love the flow and the, they make a, a big deal of it but you know either way you have an, a packed building with you know for high school kids and everyone playing for their own town and like the community pride and and everyone comes out and supports so um the added benefit is is seeing that those mullets and the, the different uh the the skate up with a wink and you know, whatever. And, and I love the dude giving like he's like uh, you know Mott's his landscape and uh, call this like like on the skate. That was hilarious. Yeah. So the play by play, I forget the guy's name. I, he does a great job with it though. Um, and it's been he's been doing it for years. But yeah, we we should be able to get out there at some point and you know uh, take it in because it's a great experience. Definitely soak that in. Uh, speaking of that, in, in like I was saying, but I saw a great great tweet and you know I think this just kind of sums up high school hockey for me. This is from kid by the name of Cole Coyne, um, and uh, 
his tweet was, uh, Thank you, Situate Hockey, for the best four years of my life. I'm so grateful for this program, from the players to the coaches to the fans. Bring us Stady home next year. Uh, hashtag Sailor forever. So clearly this kid's a Situate Sailor. Uh, played his four years. And, I, I mean, I just think, like, that environment, This you know, these, these kids just created some of the best memories of their life in those um, four seasons that they played together. And, you know, I, when you look at all these different models that are out there now, like – whether it's you know there's there's prep schools there's private schools there's academies and I'm not saying I'm um you know for or against any of them but like that tweet to me and, and is kind of like why you end up playing the game and this kid's probably going to walk around his his town with his varsity jacket on for the next you know he's going to be going to high school parties like varsity like the dude in varsity blues and uh you know but the the memories are what it's all about and it's pretty cool and you know he for him to to still be uh, cheering on his team and things like that, I think is great. Yeah, you said it really well there. Really, that tweet just sums up what the game's all about and the experiences that you want to experience in your high school years. And to be able to have that kind of perspective and that appreciation immediately when it's done, um, you know, good on Cole. But as far as uh, those, those, that's really what the the, the game should provide. And that uh, camaraderie and that co- competition and, and those lasting memories. So high school varsity blues, uh, oh, <laughs> that, 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 that's a good, you'll be wearing the, the leather sleeves with the, uh, the felt, you know, like you know, with the, the name on the side, but um, yeah, good, good on Cole. And, and that's uh, a great tweet. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's time we bring on Christopher Stieg. This week's interview is brought to you by TSR hockey. The, the TSR team and corporate sales department can outfit your team with the top brands and sports apparel. Ensure that your team looks the best, best next season. Visit TSRhockey.com. Uh, I got to get the number for you, but you want to talk about TSR real quick? Yeah, the, the guys up there at TSR take care. And as far as ordering um, team apparel, they're second to none. Um, as far as outfitting with all the best equipment, best uh, you know, team gear from sweatsuits to to uh, jerseys to to gloves, everything that all the kids love to have nowadays. So make sure you check them out at tsrhockey.com. Yeah, and you can call the um, the team store at six zero three nine one two five nine eight nine. Make sure you ask for Mike or Dave. And now Chris Versteeg. All right, and our next guest on the Rink Shrinks podcast was drafted 134th overall by the Boston Bruins. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Versteeg. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of pressure to be on a, a Boston podcast <laughs> drafted by the Bruins when I flopped, I guess. Not, not, not a chance. To, did you get a chance to uh, work on your Boston accent before you came on? Yeah, no, I, I haven't, but my best story about Boston is actually when I was 19 and I went to Providence and they said, Welcome to Woolwick. <laughs> I'm like, I thought I threw into I thought I flew into Providence. They're like, no, you're in Woolwick. And I was like, what the what is Woolwick? I don't even know what Wo-, and they're I'm like, Woolwick. And they're like, Woolwick. I'm like, Warwick? Like W-A-R-W-I-C. Oh, there's an R in there. Yeah. That was, oh, that's so good. That's awesome. Uh Mo, one of our, uh, our workers here, she was born and raised in Woolwick. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Who you just met, which, geez, I mean, we got to check on our accent, maybe do a little, see, see if, if that's how she pronounces it. Woolwick. Woolwick. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. They, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, well, you did get some seasoning down in Providence and a little bit of time in Boston. How'd you enjoy it? I loved Boston. I loved, uh, well, especially Providence, obviously. Boston was a team I didn't think I was going to get drafted. I wasn't even at the draft. I was actually at my graduation that night. They took a chance on me. Um, I showed up in camp. I had a really good camp at 19, and that's kind of where Flash Gordon recognized me. And after my 19-year-old year in junior, he gave me the opportunity. And uh, my first taste of pro hockey was in Providence. I think it was the Dunkin' Donuts Center then. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think it still is, right? Yeah, the, the Dunk. Yeah, and uh, it was sold out, man. It was a crazy crowd. I remember it was a great atmosphere for, uh, for an AHL team. And then I went back as a 20-year-old year again, and I was traded at the trade deadline. But just those two years, it was such, so much fun. I mean, we lived right on the Riverwalk. Uh, we go, you know, you go party at Brad's Cafe it was the old bar there back in the day. You go there on Sundays, have some drinks and just a good group of guys too. Nate Thompson, who's still in the NHL is there. Dubs, who's the, the I think he's a uh, Dubs and Poirier. They might both still be with the Lightning. Actually, they were the trainers there then. So just a lot of guys. It's neat to see them then and see where they are now. And it's, uh, yeah, it gave me my start and I loved it. Well, that first year you had some some classic individuals on your team, like Eric Healy, Eric Nicholas, you know, born and raised in the Boston area. I'm, I'm sure they showed you the ropes. Uh, yeah. Leachy, Chris Diamond. I mean, there's, a, there's some serious characters on that team. McDonald's. Even even what? even oh, Geck yeah, was down there for a little bit. Yeah, what was McDonald's first name? Was it uh, Jason? Yeah, this guy. He was the funniest guy, man. Uh, I remember when he picked me up. So my first day in Providence, he's driving this Jeep. And he's like, okay, I'll pick you up. We'll go, you know, we'll go for drinks or whatever. And I go to get in the back of his car and he pops the trunk. And he's like, get in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, not in the back. And then Tyler Redenbach was in the front seat. And then there's no one in the back seat. And I was sitting in the trunk. <laughs> so good. I love it. Well, yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's how I wrote Old part. school uh, AHL veteran there, Jason McDonald from PEI. Just a, a good human though, too. He was a great guy. Yeah. He, they were all awesome to me. Eric Healy, Jeremy Reach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of the funniest guys. I mean, I still say the word pigeon to this day because of Jeremy Reach. He like he's the first person I ever heard use the word pigeon. And it was the funniest the way he said it was he was from out west and I was as well. So he kind of took me under his wing. But the way he used the word, I mean, I still use it because of him to this day. Reacher. Okay, can you make the noise? Like some guys could make the noise about the pigeon like. No, nah, he could. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. You got it. That's it, Brad. Yeah. I used to do that actually a little bit when I wouldn't be playing much. There'd be me and Nick Letty, and we'd be in Chicago, and I'd be like, and he'd be like, "What is that?" I'm like, "We're on Pigeon Row right now, bud. We ain't playing." Exactly. <laughs> this, this or the Lee. assistant coach walks by, and you're just like, <laughs> "Much, much." You can't do it at all, huh? Okay, I'm like, Poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's spitting. Oh, spitting all over your microphone there. All right, well, Steger, let's uh, and we'll we'll get into the pro stuff, but let's let's walk back through your kind of hockey career. Obviously, you grew up in Lethbridge, which is a uh, you know, from what I understand, kind of like a it's kind of got it's like a Boston, right? Like some you know, you tough tough rooted people, kind of strong personalities. Um, you know, talk about growing up there and and playing hockey and and walk us down that road. Yeah, that's a pretty good comparison. A lot of people say that it's Southern Alberta. It's a farm community. It's a city, right? 60,000 people. And I was growing up probably 80,000 now, but um, really, yeah, it's a tough community, like especially where we grew up on the north side of Lethbridge. Um, it, it's a, a rough area, a rough place. 
Um, it definitely shapes who you are and who I am and who I've become today. A lot of my friends, you know, <clears throat> some friends that I, you know, I still have today are from that area of town, but also just, just that whole environment also being in that kind of country atmosphere, you know, uh, you get hurt. It's a long way from the heart. I'm sure you, you Bostonians heard that. It was it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Three years old, which is grown up. There is great. It's not the craziest hockey community. I would say, um, it's obviously hockey's number one in Lethbridge, but it is definitely, you know, there's, um, uh, there's, what is it? Football would be big. Baseball would be big down there. We're right on the American border. So you've got a couple other sports that are big. Um, but overall just a great place to live, grow up, nothing, uh, you know, I mean, nothing crazy goes on there, small kind of town atmosphere. So it's a little bit different like that than Boston would be, you know, you got a lot to do in Boston, Lethbridge when you're 16, 17, if there's not much to do, you go to a river, you go fishing and drink beers, right? It's not like you're cow, out cow tipping. Much. Yeah. Cow tipping. We used to call it crop inspecting. So you'd go out into the country and drink, <laughs> inspect the crops. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. And as as far as like, you know, early influencers, like when you're getting going, you talked about your dad earlier, but like, did he play hockey? Did you have a, any influencers like around your town, you know, at, at an early age that you can point to? Man, there was, there was literally nothing like, like, I don't know the last person besides Vic Stasiak and Earl Ingerfield. And they were in the fifties and sixties who played in Lethbridge, born and raised in Lethbridge. There was guys who came in and midget and played some midget in Lethbridge, but truly born and raised and were like Lethbridgeans who played in the NHL. So myself, my dad was, again, he was like a farmer, you know, didn't really, he liked hockey. He loved the Oilers. That's how I learned how to play hockey is he was like, Oh, do what Gretzky does. You know, yeah, look at this it. guy. Yeah, it's easy. Cool. Yeah. There was no, uh, there's no real deep hockey roots in my family. It was more so when I was younger, my dad put a stick in my hands. He'd bring me to the rink. We would skate really incredible memories of that. Um, as I got older, the Lethbridge Hurricanes were my gods. So that's the WHL, OHL, QMJHL. I never had a dream of really playing in the NHL. It was more like I need to play for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. So when I was like eight, nine, 10, there's a bunch of Lethbridge Hurricanes that lived on my block. And Todd McIsaac was one guy who was like my idol. No one would never know him. I think he ended up playing in the East Coast and you'd never know, but he wore number 10. And that's why I wore number 10 today. Is because Todd McIsaac, he was a guy I idolized. He was a smaller player. And uh, those were kind of my idols. The first real person who kind of took me under their wing at the pro level was Rich Sutter. Ron Sutter, they owned Sutter High Hockey School. Me and Devin Setaguchi ended up actually buying their hockey school in 2009. But when I was 16, Rich Sutter brought me to his hockey school to work for him. And he was kind of a guy that, like, you know, I'd never met an NHLer, right? And you're 16 years old and you go into this room and you're working for him now and he's taking you under his wing and he's talking to you what it's like to be a pro, what it's like to play junior. I mean, I even remember when I was 17 turning 18, he brought me to the bar. We went to Boston Pizza. I was 18 years old. He had a beer with me. I'm like, I'm having a beer with Rich Sutter. And in Alberta, 18 is legal drinking age. So for anyone listening, 18 is legal drinking age. So we had a beer <laughs> and just a good guy, you know, Took and Ron Sutter as well. So those are the two real first NHL guys that um, brought me under their arm and someone I could really look up to. Yeah, that's good stuff. The, the Sutter family runs deep, obviously, you know, in the league. And I, I played under uh, Brent Sutter and they all have, they're cut out of the same cloth. They care for person and, you know, there's that really no nonsense. You know, they, they want to do the right things and, 
I've been watching the NHL Network, and I think it is Rich who's been doing some commercials on there down here. So, is he doing them? He was they, with well, he was scouting with Columbus recently. Yeah, I I think it's it might be Rich, like you know, just some currency, like uh, yeah, it was a currency thing. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's actually pretty well done. But um, but as far as the starters, that doesn't surprise me though. I mean, that that's a very very good kind of say influencer, like you know, you know, introduction into the right way to do things. And, uh, you know, having that type of guidance early on is, is really invaluable. So that's really cool. Well, and then I, I played for his brother, Brent. So that was also an experience. Yeah, was, right there. yeah, he put me on defense and I was playing junior as a defenseman as a 19 year old. And yeah, he was, that was tough love, man. But right. it, was, again, it was another like growing experience for me where I was like, like there was no, like any day you came to the rink, if you had a bad day, it was tough it up, you know? So he put me at D as a 19 year old. I'd actually already been drafted by, uh, by Boston as a forward. And he ended up putting me at defense as a 19 year old. And that kind of, for me, I was a little worried because you think you're going to sign a big ticket as a 19 year old. And I'm playing on the last place team in Red Deer as a defenseman. So it, it gave me like a whole new perspective on the game. It also made me a little bitter, I think at the time, because you see all the other guys, you know, even your brother, right? I don't know. Did he sign a pretty big ticket? He was a 2004 draft, right? That was prior to the, the old lockout where guys were getting like a half million to a million bucks, right? No, he I I uh, he fell under the uh, the new CBA, I believe. Yeah, because he's an 86, but he might be a late birthday. He's Is a he? late birthday. Yep. Yeah, he's so, a September. Our draft year was still that year where guys were getting 1.1, 1.2. Uh, yeah, he missed the boat on that definitely. Yeah. So that was the last draft you could. Do. I would, I would have known. I would have yeah, known. You, yeah, you would have been riding around in an Escalade. Um, yeah. all the other probably things. not. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, you would have been like, dude, here's the Oldsmobile. You're all set. Yeah, so that was uh, that was kind of that. Like, you think you're going to get a big ticket, then you get put on D, and it's tough love. But I look back, and that was kind of a year that the tough love and the new perspective on hockey changed, and it, and it helped me. Uh, looking back uh instrumentally if you're going to go back and tell me at that time it was going to help i would have said no yeah that's interesting i mean you know we talk about like playing different positions and whatnot but like you did it at a later age and you know kind of at a time where you wanted to make the next step but you know could you just expand a little bit more like maybe uh, of the appreciation of playing a different position that you didn't normally play and some of the say difficulties that you maybe wouldn't have realized or respected within the team, that position. And when they just want to rim it around and shovel their shit onto you, like instead of, you know, making a play. Making so making a play. Well, yeah. I, I don't like to give D too much credit because <laughs> the, inter- <laughs> the transition from four or defense to forward is actually, I don't think that hard, right? You got to have a, you, you have to have to have a simplistic mindset in order just to like get it in play hard and all that. And if you're like a half-skilled defenseman, you could go up on forward and do an easy enough job of doing that. But going as a forward, who was basically cherry-picking half the time, which was me and Junior, to having to go back and play defense for Brent Sutter, that was a whole new perspective. Like, you need to make a play every time. you got to be first back on the puck. you got to take a hit. And that was in, like, 2000, you know, 2005. There's really no one holding anybody up then, right? There was no – it was just, like, guys were coming in and crushing you and – that was kind of right after the lockout and the rules changed a little bit and guys were getting absolutely killed behind the net because everyone didn't know what to do with holding guys up. So 
Um, it was, but it changed my mind in the sense of understanding how to come from behind the puck to get it, you mm-hmm. know, how to get to open space, uh, understanding, um, just where to go as a forward off of a breakout to get more time and space with the puck. So like when I, I remember when I went back on forward as a 19 year old in Providence in 20, you know, I'd come back a little bit deeper instead of waiting near like halfway near the blue line in the top of the circles, I'd come back deeper to get the puck, give myself as a forward more time and space. And I don't think I would have gained that perspective if I didn't play defense. That's pretty cool because I, what one thing that I always, you know, admired about your game was you could carry the puck in open space and open ice, make guys miss and coming from a deeper position uh, allows you to do that. And, you know, from a a deep perspective, like I want to give you the puck early. I want to give you the puck so you're not getting into trouble areas, you know, like where you're looking back or whatever. But if you come deep and you generate that speed, but you after you got the puck, you're able to create though too. So that it kind of goes hand in hand with your skill set and, you know, kind of like realizing that, coming deeper and gaining that speed can allow you that opportunity to have more space. Yeah. And you see those like Uber skilled guys. Now they all do the handoff, right? You see Yandel, like even your brother, right? He has like the skilled guys come behind him and he does like a little drop pass or Patrick Kane. He comes back and Duncan Keith are kind of token for that. They gain that extra 10, 15 feet of space. They have a skilled defenseman do a dump pass either way, because generally he's bringing the guy in to make that space for him on either side. And it just gives them so much, you know, so much ice to work with. It makes them so dangerous. Again, we were doing it. I don't have near the talent or skill that those guys do, but in order to get that extra space, you needed that D-man to drag someone to them, give it to you. And then, yeah, you need to make space or you need to make something happen in that open ice. And not everyone can do that. And that was something that I tried to do well. Obviously you can't do it to the same extent as those elite guys, but that was something I really tried to do well is that next play after that pass. So whether it was mm-hmm. kicking it out or beating a guy and then getting it to someone, that's something I thought I really liked to do. And and, and even when you beat someone one-on-one, it makes you feel almost like you scored a goal sometimes too, right? You like make a miss and you're like, oh yeah, I feel yeah. great. And then maybe you get poke checked by you later. You're like, shit. But. <laughs> but without moving the puck though, like you're just like Scott Gomez was similar to you know, you're just coming up through, you know, neutral neutral ice with the puck not really moving, but you're, you know, maybe like sh- shaking and shimmying, but you did definitely make a lot of people miss in uh, open ice, and that was very impressive to see. Scott was like the best at it. Yeah. Honestly, in that like kind of late 90s, early 2000s era, he didn't really move his feet. He just shuffled on his inside edges. Oh, he's knock needy. He's, he's a pigeon. Yeah. To, you know, like speaking exactly. of pigeons. <laughs> yeah, pigeon. You yeah. guys have to make the noise. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how'd you, how'd you adjust with like the gap control in the backward skating? Cause I see a lot of guys like even, you know, at the younger ages and then even, you know, guys that now playing junior hockey, like they struggle skating backwards. You know what I mean? When you're not used to it, how was like, how, how'd you find the gap control and pivoting and all that stuff? Early on, it was tough. I, I still remember getting burned by a couple guys. Uh, Gilbert Roulet was one of them. He was like a top pick by Vancouver. Yeah, he was a stud. I watched him in the Mem Cup that was, uh, in in Moncton that year when Keith was in in uh, the queue. Yeah, but for me, like my dad worked on a lot of backward skating with me as a kid, and I played defense actually till I was about eleven or ten. And then after that, I played defense and roller hockey. Roller hockey is actually really big out West. It was then. I'm not so much now, but from like 12 to 17, I played defense and roller hockey. So 
like the transition uh, for skating backwards wasn't as hard. It was more just like the pace, guys coming at you. You know, they're mm-hmm. coming way faster than rolling. Yeah, matching speeds and stuff. Matching speeds, yeah. And also in the neutral zone, right? Like you said, gapping up, making sure that you're close to them. I actually found myself skating forwards more than backwards. Well, I think, it, I mean, Duncan Keith, you said it, like he does it probably better than anybody or, you know, especially at like the peak of his career, but like just gapping up and angling and, and Mots and I work on it all the time, like not even really transitioning it backwards. He just like takes such a good angle, good stick position and like, you know, maybe might flip to backwards a little, but his, his gap control and his like getting up the ice is so good that, that he doesn't have to skate backwards a ton. Yeah. A lot of guys who like when we're teaching pivoting now, especially to young players, they're almost having you pivot at the end of your turn, right? Skating instructors rather than pivot backwards at the start of your turn, Mm -hmm. because it's like, if you can skate forwards, why do you even need to skate backwards? Right. Is that, is that the idea? That's yeah. Yeah. You're putting all the, the energy going forward, you're gaining some speed. And if you can be efficient on that transition, staying forward as long as you can, and then flipping backwards, you don't have to work as hard to like come out of the hole yeah. versus like blowing snow and then working to get back i yeah. wish i i wish i learned that earlier in my career i w- might still be playing steger <laughs> no is that one of my coaches was doing that with the kids the other day and he's like yeah we we have the kids change um to backwards more at like the we'd be at the three o'clock or you yeah, know exactly six o'clock almost even rather than at 10 or exactly. nine yep yep yeah that's exactly it um well, walk us back, like, so, you know, your, your, your childhood with, you know, did you grow up playing other sports? I know you talked about roller hockey and things like that. Was that something that was actually speaking of roller hockey? So you did do it. Uh, you had a team out in the Chicklets Cup with uh, boys, Witt and Biz and all those guys. I, who, who was on the squad and how'd you guys do? Yeah, we won it. We're in the B division. I thought I was going in the D B division. division? Yeah, they put it was hard, man. Like we're playing legit <laughs> teams like these guys were buzzing and like slashing and. <laughs> We had uh Nasher. And the rink looked kind of small. It was a war. It was a legit yeah. war. Like yeah. Those Let's... ball hockey games, those guys were going at it. Like oh, it no. Was, it was not when, a joke. When Witt and them were putting it together, like original the the first one, I'm like, guys, like I used to play in a, a good amount of like street hockey, roller hockey tournaments here in Boston. And I'm like, it's a different game than hockey. Like, I don't care. And I had like some really good like guys that played in the NHL play in these tournaments and be like, this is madness you know what i mean and this is obviously when we were younger in our in our 20s but like it's it's a totally different game it it really is well there's no gliding number one there's no skill right in the sense of there's skill like you can shoot and pass but it's not like you got much time and space to create and right it's just a grind like you got to be ready to like take a whack block a shot without shin pads and most of the guys who play in the nhl at the end of their career, they ain't blocking a shot without shin pads on a right. on an orange ball. No, uh, the the roller hockey though, same thing. Like a lot of those guys, there was a pro division. Um, the division we were in, some of the guys had played pro and they play in the platinum division in Narch. So there was really good players. We had Barber played one game. Um, who else? There's one kid on our team, Yusa. He was a really good player. Played as a pro pro roller. So we had a lot of good players. It was just. But that's how good it was. You guys are like in the B division and it was like legit competition. Yeah. Like we, so game one, we were down like 14, 11 or 14, 10. We ended up winning 15, 14 and we wow. lost game three. The team we lost to in game three, we beat in the finals. Like they wow. were good, man. They're all like, like real good players from Florida. Like, well, like, let me know. I might, I might be looking for a call up. I, I, I enjoy it. 
Yeah, but I want to get called down. I want to go to the <laughs> go to- Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Let's do a team in the C division. Yeah, C or D, I'm fine. Like, I saw Sharpie out there. Yeah, I saw him. Yeah. Like, his hair looks good, you know. Not just <laughs> gorgeous hair. Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. There was, I actually even, like, cold-shouldered a guy. Like, I, I swear to God, center ice, this guy is, a, like, pretty solid guy. And he kind of hit me twice in the middle. I'm like, holy hell. So I went back again. I'm like, I'm going to lean back at him because if he hits me again, I'm going to have to stand him up. And I straight cold shouldered him, like right. Did you gave him the Forsberg? Did you have yeah, the ball? Literally, I just left it, but I'm like, he's actually coming at me again. Like he's gonna hit me, so I just like you know. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm 150 pounds now, right? So I'm, I'm glad I didn't break in half. Oh, that's amazing. But yeah, sorry, my uh, my ADD took over there. But the, you know, walk us through the the early years and playing other sports and 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 things like that. Yeah, road hockey, you talked about it um, every single day. Like me and my brothers played on the street every day. I don't know if you guys had the same rules as us, but it was hitting on the grass. So mm-hmm. you never wanted the ball to go on the grass. Yeah, uh, then it's on. Yeah, and then spring hockey, it was not a thing then. We couldn't afford it either. That was another piece to it. We couldn't afford it. Um, so it was right to soccer. I'd play soccer for four months, and I played soccer till I was 11 years old. I actually really loved soccer, and it was something that, uh, I, I was excelling at as well. Um, but at 11, you know, it's kind of at that time, it's like pick or choose. So like, then I went to hockey and hockey was a natural transition into roller hockey in the spring, just because roller hockey was starting to get bigger in Alberta at the time. And that's where I transitioned into my off season to just do more like skill development through roller hockey. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time about, you know, like unstructured play, whether it be on the pond or on, you know, like the tennis court or in the driveway. And, you know, we played growing up all the time and you figure ways to be better, you know, because there's tendencies and you work on your skills and, you know, it's camaraderie and like that hitting on the grass, you make up your own roles and, you know, you go. Um, that's kind of lacking now because there's so much structure and, you know, everyone has to have like a, a set team, but ultimately yeah. that that's where you develop like that unstructured unstructured play. And I don't know if it's ever going to get back there, but we always encourage it because that's what some of the, you know, you're talking about it now and that's some of the benefits that you realize later in your career without even knowing it. Oh, it's, that's where the love is. Like, mm-hmm. so you could, you go put 10 kids on a pond. How long do they play for? Until the lights are on. So you take those same 10 kids, you put a coach with a whistle on their rink. How long do they want to stay on for? right? Less than 50 minutes. They're done because it's, it's instruction, right? If you're getting instruction over time, your brain starts to melt and it's just like, that's the difference, right? Exactly what you said. It's where you can be creative. It's where you can kind of be your natural self. You can have fun. You don't got to worry about doing drills or getting told what to do. It, I think it purely comes down to just like the love, right? And that's what, that's where the creativity blossoms and that's where you learn a lot. And that's where you stay on the longest because again, practice like you get yelled at or i mean even if you have a great coach you're still getting told what to do and at the end of an hour you're like i'm done like an hour and a half sometimes you're like no more i can't go on so absolutely yeah that's a great point i mean like playing street hockey my mom's coming picking me up and i'm like hey can you put the lights on because we got game seven here you know yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah, every night screaming to come inside right playing road hockey 100 percent yeah. So as far as like, you know, other sports, did you play, you know, you know, as like baseball is big here, you know, uh, lacrosse is getting bigger. You said soccer. 
did you play anything like in high school? I know you went to junior, but like as far as something more competitive um, in any of those other sports? No, really. Honestly, it was it was roller hockey. We played stickball every day in the base in the backyard. My brother was a ball player. He was really good. My youngest brother, but uh, competitive. It was roller hockey. Yeah, that was so we would do out out west. We'd have Western Canadians and like they're real serious tournaments. Like you'd go there kind of like we're talking the Chicklets Cup, but obviously on an ice rink with sport court. Um, but yeah, that was that was it. Pretty much that. Oh, that's great. I mean, and and I just think even though it is kind of like playing a different sport too, and and like you said, you kind of get away from it and, and, you know, just learn that unstructured and work on your hands and moving the puck, like the give and goes and stuff that, that I found playing in roller tournaments and stuff. Like if you don't move it, like the one guy that, that I'd be interested to like a Pablo Barber, Barber or, uh, you know, Pete Lennis, those guys, like I'm always interested to see how they would be in like roller hockey especially in a team game because it's like they're known for just dangling right and it's yeah. like how how do they do when it actually comes down to like making plays and using the team yeah yeah barber was actually really good in the tournament like he he played the one game he had a really good game um so he he actually did really well and again i think it I, i'd be interested to see like you said how they do in uh like in a competitive landscape but i was actually really impressed with how he did yeah. in that tournament he did really well oh that's cool you know, those transferable skill sets, like we, we've had a couple guys on here talking about, you know, playing other sports and whatnot, but you don't need to, excuse me, uh, be, you know, in that structured environment, go out in the backyard, kick a soccer ball, go with your buddies and play stickball, go, go play street hockey, and you can develop your, you know, athleticism. And then when you start, you know, specifically honing in on hockey, then it, it, it does come to fruition, but um, a lot of times, you know, kids get so hockey centric too early and, you know, yeah. it, but like the, the, the ball hockey is like a fun way to still supplement your on ice ability. And that's like, again, a lost art. So anyway, that, that, you, all, you're hitting on all the great points that we try to like emphasize here on the rank shrinks. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing about roller hockey and ball hockey is on ice, the puck moves, right? It's not like your hands moving the puck as much. And on the rink or on roller hockey, you really got to force your hands to move the puck and in ball hockey. So I think that's why it's real transferable is you see guys who played roller hockey. They're like generally really good with the puck. Like Bobby Ryan, he didn't even play mm -hmm. hockey, I believe, till he was like 11. Right. Patrick Maroon. A lot of these guys that they they play a lot because I think it forces you to move the puck a lot rather than relying on the puck to move on the surface. That's just my own hypothesis. I don't know if it's true or not, but makes I makes sense to me. Transferable. Yeah. No, it definitely does. Well, Steger, walk us through the, you know, the when you like growing up, so were you always kind of like, you know, let's say a 10, 11, 12, like were you a stud or where where did you kind of fit in i know you know and i i, I want to talk about you walking onto your junior team and i know you get a couple stories from those age groups but you kind of like a can't miss kid or or did it take a little more time to to develop i think till i was about 10 11 i was almost like a can't miss in a sense like i was a lot like i was the best player in the area i was i was small though right I mean, this is like 90s where you had to be big, a lot bigger. So I think there was always that aspect on me. Like he's too small. He'll never make it. He's a bit of a like a, a wimp or whatever they want to call me. Um, <laughs> but 
when I got to 11 and 12, or I got to 12, that was Pee Wee, so 13, um, that was Bantam turning 14. I actually didn't make Bantam AAA. Bruce Bell was the coach. He's actually a really good coach, but he didn't pick me. I was too small. And I think that's where, like, the belief in myself started to change. You know, you're one of the best players in the area, and all of a sudden you try out for a Bantam AAA team. And, and in Canada, it's you play as an overage and an underage together. It's not like in 86, I'll play with an 85. You know what I mean? Yep. So yep. I got cut from the 85 team. And actually another first year made it over me. And so that's kind of where the stock flipped, right? Everyone was talking about this kid instead of me. And that kind of started to give me a bit of like, you know, uh, anger. And I was like, man, like I I'm better than this guy. I swear I'm better than this guy. And then I went out to South Zone Senators, which is a team that picks in Southern Alberta. So it'd be like a piece of Boston. And I got cut from that team too, right? And then I went to, uh, there was one other team, sorry, within that year. So there's three teams within a year that I got cut from before going to Bantam AAA. And my mom came in the backyard and there was a, there was, I told you the story, right? There was a fire yeah. going on. And yeah. that's, that's when I lit those jerseys on fire. And I went to Bantam AAA, made AAA, and then got cut from under 16s again, uh, which is Team Canada, like under 16s out west, did the same thing with my mom, brought it back in the yard, lit that thing on fire. Just a, just a pyro. Yeah. And then... So basically, if you were to say from like zero or from like six to 11 or 12, I think most people have said, yeah, he can make it, but he's too small, right? He'll never make it, especially in this era. And then after that, they're like, well, he's definitely not going to make it. And then I got, and then I got listed actually as a 15 year old and tried out for a junior A team as a 16 year old before going to the WHL and junior A is actually a step below the WHL. And I got cut from junior A a week before going to the WHL again, the guy's like, you're too small. Uh, we can't have you here. Went to the WHL and made the WHL. So again, like if it's hard to really explain this, like if I think I was a can't miss or not, I definitely don't think I was, especially at that point, people are probably like, this guy's too small. He's never going to make it. He's getting cut from like five teams in two years. Yeah. This guy's a pigeon pigeon. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I made it as a 16 year old. And then I didn't play much as a 16 year old. Um, and then as a 17 year old, that's where I think the light switch started to turn on. Like I got to get bigger. I got to start working out. I didn't really work out much, you know, in those days. And uh, yeah, the light switch flipped. I'm like, I can, I'm just as skilled as these guys. I just got to start putting it together off the ice. Yeah. I was going to ask like, what, what changed, you know, from you being cut? Like, did you, really start to like self-motivate and be like, all right, I can do this. Or, or was there a, a, you know, a portion of time where you're like, Oh, maybe like hockey isn't for me. At up until 17, 18, I had like self-motivation was huge from 14 to 17, 18. I just remember looking at guys ahead of me in the draft. Cause I was never drafted in the WHL either. Mm -hmm. And I would look at the guys. I'm like, I'm better than this guy in the first round. What's he doing that I'm not, you know? And so that's a, a lot of the self-motivation now, 1819, that year where I played defense and and um I was I had an okay year as an 18-year-old year. That for me was like, I'm I'm done. Like I don't think I'm gonna make the NHL. Uh, I see all these other guys lighting up junior. I'm not doing great. And the the self-doubt was high. Like it was not good. I was not in a good place. Um, and then I got that chance in Providence. That's kind of where it all changed, honestly. That's uh Flash Gordon gave me that opportunity and and then I went and played pro and I just kind of had a really good finish to the year. And that's that summer 19 to 20 is where like the real, I, I would say switch flipped. And I, I went like full madness mode. Like I was using everything, like 
anyone I was looking at me wrong. I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. You know what I mean? That kind of uh, attitude. And it ended up working, but I, I was actually like starting to go to school to be a paramedic, you know, at 19 before that, like before I went to Red Deer, I was with Kelowna or um, Kamloops and I was applying to like be a firefighter. Like I, I didn't really truly think at 19 that hockey was even a path for me anymore. And that's an amazing story. I mean, as far as, you know, kind of like that, that whole kind of story you just mentioned, it's really that believability in yourself and, you know, kind of betting on yourself, but it would have been easy for you to like, you know, yeah, you know what, these guys are right. You know, hundred percent. I think that's, I look back at like so many times, like I would call my dad like 20 years old, you know, and I'd be like, I think I'm done. He'd be like, sure. Come sell tractors with me. Some right. farm equipment. I think you guys heard me say that, but like you look at not only that, like you, you had to find motivation, but just to have one person believe in you, it takes a lot of luck to have that even, mm -hmm. you know, because the first rounders are always going to get their chance. But if you're in the second, third, fourth, fifth round, it takes years and it takes one person to be like, like Flash Gordon, right? If he didn't believe in me, he probably would have, no, I would have never went to Providence as a 19 year old. And then who knows what would have happened in 20 year old and junior, right? Maybe I still do make it. Maybe I do good. Who knows? But Flash brought me in as a 19 year old. I did really well. And then as a 20 year old, I got a concussion at the start of the year. But after I came back from that, he, he put me on the first line with David Kredsey, you know, like he, he, like, and I ended up having like 49 points and 43 games in the A where I didn't even have that in junior the year before. So right. it took one person to believe in me and then at to like repay him the favor of believing in yourself and actually executing that. So I look back, I owe Flash a ton. And then in, in same thing, Dale Talon, I owe him a ton too because he took the chance on me in Chicago. All right, we'd like to take a uh, quick break from the interview with Christopher Stieg and talk to you guys about a couple of our sponsors. First up, Cross Country Mortgage. If you own a home and you haven't looked into refinancing in a while, have a quick chat with our friend Chris Devin and see if it makes sense for you. Devo may be able to help you save on a monthly basis where you can put some money into savings or other projects. He'll help save you some dough, boys and girls. Check him out at chrisdevin.com. And speaking of saving, you can take those savings and invest with our friends at Morgan Stanley. For over 28 years, the Kelleher Corbett Group has been a trusted advisor to individuals, families, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. They provide clients with the scope, scale, and oversight of a global financial services firm coupled with the independence, objectivity, and the service capabilities of a boutique advisory and consulting group. Give them a call at 781 681-4949 or visit their website at morganstanley.com backslash, backslash the Kelleher Corbett Group. Now let's get back to the interview with Christopher Steve. Yeah, for those that don't know, that Flash Gordon is Scott Gordon, who was the head coach down in Providence. And I mean, he's had a lengthy career. BC guy too, right, Mott? Yeah, if Flash Gordon because he had a good glove. He's a goalie. Yeah, he was a goalie. And I had him in Long Island as well. A super guy great hockey mind always looking to like better the team with like different you know kind of ideas and you know and that believability that he had in you you know he's he sees things like he's a yeah. very good hockey person um but that's that's amazing and, th and that year that you had playing with Kretsch and then getting traded like you know you put up you know 72 points and you know it, you know it was like that was like a breakout year for you and yeah. 
you know, within, you know, Boston, say management, I'm sure that they can look back and look at some trades that they didn't like, you know, that that was a trade that, you know, you have a, a prospect that you're cultivating and you're having success with another guy like Krejci, who number one, you know, he was like an underrated guy, in my opinion, for as long as he played, even though he got paid, it was like, he made guys around him better and he was an awesome dude. And, you know, so like, just think about what management could have done and like kept you and you guys come up together. But, um, you know, you had an exceptional year, but going back to flash, like that believability in a player and just, it just instilling confidence. Like, like what you said about coming off injury, you know, you think you might have to work your way in like whatever. And then all of a sudden you're on the first line. That's, that's real. You know, and that that's showing confidence in you and, and believing in, in, in you. And then you go out and execute. It's a win-win. Yeah, confidence. That's that's pretty much the word. I remember playing for a coach in junior and he said confidence isn't anything. You know, and I was like, I kind of believed that for a while. Right. And then you play for a coach like Flash and he flips the script. He's like, you need to be confident. Hmm. Like, we need to make you confident. I remember him having that talk with me. Right. He's like, he even had, he's like, you were on a waste. He, or he would say like, I don't think you're a bad kid or I don't think uh, you're a, a unconfident kid or whatever. I think you're a confident kid. You just need someone to tell you that, you know, I remember the meeting with him still. And that was like, you know, I'm going out there and playing with Peter Tankrat and David Krejci, or I'm playing with Jan Stasny and David Krejci. And he's like, you're just, you know, you, you can play with these guys, just believe in it. And like from there, me and David took off. I remember I was like, man, hockey's so easy when you feel good about yourself and you're confident and you're like, you're, you're playing hard, but you're doing what the coach wants as well. Right. It was just a good feeling. I remember that year and that led into like, when I got traded, that was like the worst feeling, you know, cause you have like, you're doing so good. You're one of the leading rookies in the league and you're having one of the best seasons. And then all of a sudden you're trading you're like, Holy hell, like what the hell just happened. Right. And I still remember that on the bus when flash told me he, uh, he brought me to the front. I thought I was getting called up to the show. And then he ended up telling me I got traded, which was crazy. It was 72 points in 60 games over Norfolk and, and Providence. It, it shows, you know, the proof is in your your uh, execution and, you know, being able to provide, you know, you're a scorer at the time, you're a distributor, you're finding your game is really what you were doing. Yeah. And that co- confidence finds, you know, it even more when you when you have the confidence in your own play. So. But that, that is pretty much a, a springboard to what we will talk about next is like, you know, your NHL career. And, um, you know, maybe it wasn't going to be happening in Boston, but that trade did open a door for you to to be able to be in a great organization, another original six and play under a great coach and, you know, a good GM. And, and again, that believability and that confidence, you know, when you went in, um, and then you just take advantage of it again, like believing yeah. in yourself. So this is this is all great stuff for young listeners to to hear. Yeah, going to Chicago. Um, I remember I was at a, a restaurant in Norfolk playing for Providence. It was me, Matt Lashoff, and David Kredge. We just played Norfolk the night before. Then I was like, Matt, if there's one team in the league I don't want to get traded to, it's Norfolk because they had <laughs> Dustin Bufflin, David Bull, and they had all these prospects. Colin Frazier. You could go down the list. We even had first rounders like Ryan Garlock and all these guys who never made it, but they were like second rounders and all that. Right. And two weeks later, I ended up getting traded to there. And I remember, so I played the rest of that year. I played kind of fourth line, third line, didn't play much, but I ended up still putting up points somehow. 
And the second year started in Rockford and they had me on the fourth line and I wasn't playing power play and 10 games into the season, I have one point in 10 games. And I remember going in and I tried to flip like Mike Havlin's desk. I remember that's the, again, back to my dad, I told him like, I'm done hockey. Like I go through all this. I finally turn it around. I'm doing great. Now I'm on the fourth line. I have over a point a game the year before what's going on. He's like, come fucking, Oh, sorry. He's like, come, come sell tractors with me, you know? And I'm like, well, okay. I don't want to do that. So I, I turned it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. But he's like, <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, go be a man and go talk to the coach. Don't tell me, you know? And that's basically what it was. So I went in there and I just started screaming at Havland. I'm like, I was screaming at him. And then he could probably even attest to this. I'm like, you know, give me my ice time or I'm out of here, yada, yada. And he's like, I'll give you it, but you better play good. And then I, uh, he put me on the, I think it was the second line. It was me and Pietri Contiola. He was a really high end prospect, good player. And I had 15 points in my next seven games. And at that game eight, after yelling at Havland, I got called up and played my first ever NHL game. So that's kind of like the turnaround. You have, go having one assist in 10 games to like, basically, again, back to the thing is like your you're self-doubt. And then it's like, you kind of have like a moment, like screw this. It's like, you got to go believe in yourself, but then you also got to execute when you call out a coach, right? There's, there's that that goes into it. And it ended up happening and I played good and I ended up getting called up. And I kind of kept that mindset going forward. Like I need to have that bite in me, you know? And I, I had a chip up- on your shoulder. Exactly. And I had a lot of fights that year in the minors. I think I had 12 fights and I kind of added that a little bit to my game of being a little bit more of a pest rather than just relying on skill. Cause I kind of realized, man, yep. Patrick Kane, Patrick Sharp, all these guys there. If I'm going to be in the NHL, I also got to add another element to my game. So it was like kind of understanding that and evolving that into my game that I might be on a third line. You know, I might be on a fourth line at times, but I got to evolve my game into bringing much more than just, just uh, skill. I think that's an a, a unbelievable like parenting moment too. And, and, you know, obviously you use like the go to sell, you know, come, come home and sell tractors with me, but there's a lot of, you know, I think a, a lot of parents these days make excuses for their kids and, Oh no, honey, you should be, you really should be playing. You were playing so good in Providence and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, no, Hey, like you're playing pro hockey. You can, you can, you know, suck it up, become a man. Like now you're, you know, 20, 21 years old, whatever it was. And, you know, you can go have a, a grown up conversation with your boss, basically your coach and, yeah. uh, and, and figure it out and, and then go out and execute or, you know, or you just come home and, you know, come back to the farm and here we go. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and my dad was never a guy that'd be like, yeah, you got to get up this morning and go work or go work hard. He was just more of like, an honest person. Like it was so honest. It sucked at times, you know, I'd be like, Hey, what did you think of today? He goes, yeah, you weren't great. But <laughs> on some days, I, I wouldn't think I was great. Maybe it was a bit of psychology too in there. And he'd be like, Oh, I thought you were good. You didn't have any goals. You didn't play, but he's like, you worked hard, but it was just, I think he had this pure honesty that made me see the world differently rather than like you said, sugarcoating it and, and being like, Oh, you're going to be okay. It was like, yeah, just, you know, go have a conversation, you know, be a man, Matt, you know, go do it. And that's kind of the way he always dealt with me. It wasn't like a strict hockey dad, like making me get up and do pushups every morning. It was like, if you want to play in the NHL, you better, you know, wake up and start getting in shape or something like that. You know, that was kind of the direct approach he took me. And I look back and I'm very thankful for that, for that approach from him. Yeah. yeah, Crazy as it is, I uh, actually just met Mike Havlin the other night at the Bruins game for the first time. And so I might have to like give him a buzz to see if, uh, you know, oh, yeah. see you what his fact check him. <laughs> He's beauty. Yeah. So oh, yeah. 
say that Versteeg beat you up, and that's yeah, why yeah. you ended up in the first line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ragdolled them around the office. Yeah, he yeah. jerseyed you in your own office. <laughs> he, and, were you, was he in Colorado College? He was, was, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, like he, you know, a good guy. We just kind of like you know chatted a little bit. But that, that's funny that you bring it up. And oh, he yeah. was he was the guy that put you from fourth to to second line, and you proved your your medal. And the rest is history. We get get to the NHL, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you get to the NHL. And what what was nice about Mike is he actually was our assistant coach the following year, right? Two thousand eight, two thousand nine year, and that was like kind of my breakout year in the NHL. I, I was up and down the year prior, and then I was. I ended up being up for rookie of the year that year. And, you know, you, you were there with not only Kane and Taze, you were there with a lot of guys in the minors, Mike Havland, who's your coach. He comes up and he shows, you know, it's different going to the NHL with a guy that doesn't know you. I went there with a guy who knew me from the minors and I think he helped, you know, guide Quenville on how to play me and how to utilize me. So uh, I look back at that and and that year was, you know, kind of what put me on the scene and what pe- made people realize that I, I could be an NHL hockey player. And then after that, obviously, we won a Stanley Cup. So that whole two years to me is almost like one big, massive, long, crazy year because, you know, we go from basically not making the playoffs, no fans, to having 18,000, 20,000 people in there standing up screaming every night. It was madness. And then we lose to Detroit in the Western Conference Finals as well, basically rookies or young guys, and then we go on to win a cup. So those two years to me were the two best years of my hockey career. Well, what was it like just, you know, being in the room? And and I think, like you said, so many of those guys, you you know, you played in the AHL with, but, you know, they were like you younger guys and kind of grew up together. Like you said, you lost in that that first uh, playoff series, but then like coming into it and obviously, you know, you, you, you have the guys like Kane and Taves and those guys that really didn't play in the American League, but – um, you know, what was it like just, just growing up with those guys and, and then seeing kind of the evolution of like a Patrick Kane now, who ultimately, you know, in my eyes is probably going to end up being the, the top U S born player and, 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 you know, NHL history. Well, yeah, we're, uh, we're all still great friends today, you know, uh, between Kane, Sharp, Taze, myself, uh, even then you look at the guys who are all in the minors together. Uh, Frazier, we're still really close with the Frazier's, Browers, Bufflins, you know, and we all came there. We we're like brothers, you know, we all go for beers after we all go for dinner. We all go hang out. Um, we all took care of each other. It was such a good group and just uh, a brotherhood. And again, still some of my best friends today and people that you keep in contact with. Now, Patrick Kane is to me um, the most a misunderstood player in the sense everyone thinks he's just laughing and likes to have fun. He was the player that took hockey the most serious out of any player I've ever played with in my entire life. This guy was on the ice, even as a youngster, 30 minutes before everyone. And I couldn't really go on the ice that long. Cause I'd be like, my back hurts my hip, you know, or anything. <laughs> just, he loved it. I was always complaining about something, but anyways, he, uh, <laughs> he loved it. And he would be on early. He'd be off late. In the summertime, I'd be calling him. It'd be like July, and we'd have already played till mid-June. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and uh, he'd, he'd ask me. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to the lake, you know, with my friends or something. I'd be like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just getting off the ice. I'm like, I'm getting off the ice? What are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm doing some skill stuff. I'm like, you're crazy. Like, we just won the cup like a month ago or the year before. It's like we just played. And this was like consistent. And that's just how much dedication he had to the game. It wasn't – he didn't have to get dragged to the rink. You know, there's some kids and some parents that got to drag their kids to the rink. And I think that's when you look as a parent, it's a different horse in each race. Like some kids like to go every day and some kids need to be held back and 
maybe Kaner's parents had to hold him back a little bit because he he would have just gone every single day and they did a good job that way. But Kaner was the guy to me that I'd never seen anyone love the game more than hockey and work harder at it. And he has earned every little bit that he's gotten today. That's amazing. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he, he's a, an elite player, but, you know, to be able to play there with him and in that surrounding cast, but you're a huge part of those championship runs and, you know, it's you can't discount uh, the value that you added as well, but it is cool to, you know, be able to, you know, when you're done playing, still have a vested interest in some of your very close friends that you came through with and, you know, still be a fan and, and, and support them. So that's great. Well, I told Dunks the other day. I, well, I mean, I call my first uh, ring Kane, my second one Taze. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I also, like, I call it Keith too. So I told Dunks uh, and Kane and Taze always, I'm like, I thank you guys every single day for allowing me to be a part of your game and allowing me to go to the front of the line at the bars rather than sitting at the back. So, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, so some perks <laughs> come along with it. Yeah, I was like, thanks, guys. But no, they, they, I owe them again. You, you, you look at people over your life that made an impact and you owe a ton to, I owe a ton to superstar players. I was very, very fortunate to be with them. Right. These guys are the guys that, you know, turn the crank every day and it's not easy to be a top player in the NHL, as you guys know, right. There's a ton of pressure on you. There is uh, expectations that uh, they mount on you every single day. And I couldn't imagine being under the expectations that those guys were in Chicago. So very thankful and grateful to those guys, and I love them. Yeah, so as far as, like, you know, your career, we were able to play together uh, briefly in, in Florida. You know, that, that told a few lies in the showers. and Yeah. And then, <laughs> then then you went back home uh, <clears throat> to Chicago. But, um, yeah, just as far as, like, just our listeners, like, you know, Stig, you're a great teammate, like, just being, you know, part of the room, winning culture. Florida, you were in Florida for quite some time and had some success there. Some new blood was coming in and like, you're still trying to be the heartbeat even after you had some injuries and whatnot. So like from what I saw, and then you still continue to play for another, you know, like five years, it was, it was impressive. Um, you know, our buddy, Jimmy Hayes, uh, was in that trade with you. So yeah, God we, rest his soul. It, yeah, it, yeah. Very difficult, uh, situation there, but, as far as uh, being a great teammate, uh, you know, the short time I had with you, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, could you talk about your time in uh, Florida as well? I, I loved Florida. That first year, especially, uh, we weren't supposed to win. We we're kind of, they called us like a cast of misfits. We all came in. No one thought we were going to do anything. And we ended up winning the division. We ended up losing to um, New Jersey in double overtime game seven. And actually halfway through that year or a little over halfway, I was having a great year. I think I was at 48 points in 46 games and we were playing Montreal and I got hit and I tore my hip like really bad. And then, uh, and that was kind of a bit for me of the downturn of a few things. Again, my mentality, you know, you always want to produce and do good things. And then uh, I missed like three weeks, came back, but we still had a great finish to the season. And this to me is where it kind of got a little sour. Um, you know, I went into, hip surgery I came out of hip surgery and the lockout happened and to their credit I wasn't in good shape coming out of the lockout you know I came off hip surgery and I just wasn't ready to play and I tore my ACL about eight games into the season and so I missed the entire season that year and I think that's where I met you right going into right. that 
the third the year. Yes. Yeah. And that to me was, you know, I was not in a good place and I felt bad about some of the situations, you know, like if I came to the rink and me and Deneen would be going at it a bit, you know, he'd want more for me and rightfully so he should ask more for me because as a, you know, as a high paid player, but I just couldn't give it, you know, I had ACL surgery five months, four and a half months prior and they expected well, that's an back. early return. Yeah. Five. So it was four and a half months. I was on the ice playing at five months after fully blowing my ACL and compressing my meniscus and everything. And I didn't think I was going to play, but they needed me on the power play. And that's great. I, I wanted to come back. Right. But again, to their, you know, they wanted more for me. I just couldn't give it. And I voiced my concern at times and me and me and Deneen had it out. We ended up having a great finish because we won a Stanley cup together in Chicago but I felt bad at the sense that I just couldn't provide the the um, amount of, um, I guess, success to Florida that they'd given to me, if that makes sense. Like they give you money, they want you to win. And then I go there and I have three major surgeries in two and a half years, not even two years. Right. So to me, I felt bad about that situation. I ended up going back to Chicago. And again, I was a shell of myself. Like I, I didn't have a good year that year. And I was, I felt bad because you go back to Chicago and that you leave there as this young, good player and you come back and you're hobbling around the ice and they're like, who the hell did we get back? <laughs> yeah. so that was a tough year, but I, I really went to work that next summer and I had the best probably 30, 40 game sprint of my career going into that 14, 15 season before I broke my hand and argued or I needed surgery and I was out for two and a half months after that. But um, yeah, that, that piece of Florida to me, um, that one year in Florida was some of the best hockey I played and it was a, a great time, great group of guys. And it was a tough loss in that, that game seven, because I thought we played a lot better than New Jersey. Well, the good news is you can definitely write some like hospital reviews about your time down in Florida. Dude. And I had my, so I even, I remember I went in there at the time. I'm like, you can do my eyes as well. So I got my eyes. Yeah, I had tattoos. The one I remember I got my eyes done. I got like part of my sleeve done and I had my knee casted, right? And I'm like laying there like this. But, yeah, it was, it's a great place though. Hey, Mots. Oh yeah. I mean, going to the rink and shorts and flip-flops it's it's a little different but um yeah the, the vibe is really really cool and i wish the rink was in a different place though right? i know like, i wish it was the fans, yeah, place for the fans right really yeah i is. mean as a fan going there for the four years my brother was was down there it was yeah it was a, it was i mean the only good news about him playing was at least i had a dd to drive home after yeah. the game you know what i mean like because it's a, it's a tough ride that's for sure i'll put it that way there's nothing to do after the game. You can go to Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the Sawgrass uh, Mall. Yeah, the Sawgrass Mall. Exactly. You get 50% <laughs> off at whatever it was there. For Applebee's. <laughs> yeah. Applebee's. <laughs> Crapplebee's. Yeah. Uh, well, you did, you know, you, you obviously you, you went back to Chicago, won your second cup, uh, and then, you know, stops in LA, Calgary. Like, talk about playing in those different hockey markets. Obviously, you, you, you played in Toronto as well. And, you know, so just talk about kind of those different markets that you played in and what you you liked about them. Obviously, you 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 touched on Chicago and Florida quite a bit. Yeah, Toronto was amazing. Uh, it was tough because it was a short-lived thing. We won the cup. I went to Toronto. Uh, we weren't that great of a team, and Berkey told me he's like, "We got to trade you" because they had to get draft picks back. Definitely for that uh, the Kessel trade they lost. He kept out, or they were talking about some of the picks they needed back. But overall, I love Toronto and I love Brian Burke. He's been a great great guy to me and a great person and uh, he brought me back to Calgary and that's where I finished my career I played 
two years uh, with the Calgary Flames, and it ended. It, I actually ended up leaving, or not leaving. I ended up having my second hip surgery a quarter of the way into the season, which arguably then ended my career because I was the biggest Band-Aid the last six years <laughs> of my career. So, but going back home and playing in your hometown in front of in front of friends and family every single night that that two years in Calgary to me was uh, very special, and Carolina, it was okay. Like it was okay at the time. I mean, I just, we just won in Chicago. You go to Carolina, you're getting like spaghetti after the game. That's like made in the <laughs> wives room. It was a, it was a <laughs> I mean, I loved Ron or uh, Ron Francis. Ron Francis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, old Chuck, such great guys, good people, but like the overall situation, you go from playing in Chicago to that. And then you go to LA, which is a wicked situation. It was like, it was okay, but um, it's great now. Obviously, they're, yeah. they're doing the right things now, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's cool that you've been able to play in a bunch of really, you know, cool markets. And then as far as, you know, it, being a Band-Aid, it, it's difficult to be hurt at times, right? You know, like you, you definitely want to pr- produce. And like what you said about being in Florida, you know, they put their trust in you, you know, signing to a contract and, you know, expect X. And that's just like the personal drive that you have to provide you know, a service that you're being paid for. But overall, like, you know, your body of work over, you know, your 643 games has been, you know, exceptional and you should be very proud of, you know, what what you've uh, accomplished and, you know, the relationships that you've made. Yeah, that's the best part is the relationships. Steger, I wanted to ask you just, you know, you, you, you did touch on a lot of your injuries and the hips and you and you and Mott's a couple old guys with fake hips and stuff like that. But like in terms of, you know, now you, you and we're going to get into the app and stuff like that that you're working on. But the like injury prevention for for, uh, you know, young kids, like, is there anything that you would have done differently or were all those injuries where they kind of like fluky type hits and stuff like that? Or was it things that just kind of wear and tear on your body? And would you you know, would you have any tips for kids? kind of growing up playing hockey and how to stay out, stay out of the ER. Yeah. Well, my ACL was a, as a low blow, like a bit of a cheap shot that blew my knee out. The, my groin ones, like I had bilateral hernia surgery and hip. I think a lot of that is from wear and tear. Obviously the Josh Georges hit, he didn't mean to do it. It's just, he hit me funny and pushed down when it tore. I think there was a, a level of wear and tear there that allowed it to happen. Mm-hmm. I look again, I never had a skating instructor. I couldn't afford any of that. I didn't have anyone who taught me proper technique. My skating stride was ugly. So I'm sure it created a lot of tension, especially in my core and my abdomen area. But the biggest thing I'm going to look at, especially for my young athletes and kids is, you know, making sure that they have some corrective skating stride at a young age that helps them with their glide and their stride and, and their push core strength is huge. I never worked on core strength till I was like 16 years old. And by then you're already like, you're skating fast at 16. You know what I mean? Like 14, 15, 16. I never warmed up till I was 17, 18 years old. So I think at a younger age, the the way you can understand your body, gaining core strength, understanding correct stride, and not so much correct stride for what the, the coach wants, but for your body to maximize it is big. And then not wearing down. So we talked about doing other sports. If you're playing something 12, you know, 12 months around, your wear and tear on your body is going to be hard. Like I've heard of like 11 and 12 year olds having groin injuries now. Like right. that is, that has never happened in the past. Now I think there's a happy medium there that needs to happen, right? You need to, you need to try to maximize the information you have in order to make your body as good as possible at a young age, but also not wear it down. 
And I think that's a process that should be put on the parents and the coaches. Like us coaches can tell parents and they're not always going to listen to us. So we can't just tell them, right? Like I can tell my parents, hey, your kids should take two months off after May, right? They should not come back till mid-July maybe or end of July. Let the body heal. And I also tell them like NHL players are only on the ice between five and seven hours a week, right? So there's that. So it's 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 a it's a happy medium, but it's also, you know, gaining again back to the information. Take the information at hand and and try to, you know, maximize it through, I think, just corrective skating and, and core strength. That's yeah, great. So, great answer. Yeah. So some of that stuff that we we're um, you know, you're saying that may be you know, accelerated because of the say stiffness of the boot, you know, like stiffness of the boot is going to allow you to have a bigger, bigger push and you'll be faster. But like that energy that was lost in that like loose boot yeah, you know, is now going to the knee and then now just ending in the hip. So what I've been seeing, you know, lately is like some younger kids having hip issues. So you, you have to like kind of offset it by not being on the ice as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a fine line and it's a balance, but um, you know, the speed and the skill of the game is unbelievable right now. And, you know, hopefully um, some of the negative side effects uh, don't rear its head exactly. at, a, at a younger age. Yeah, 100 percent. That's what you look at. You don't want it at 22, 23 with these guys, right. you, want it, you know, later on like us. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. While maximizing their younger years. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steger, I think, um, you know, obviously we could talk about your NHL career forever, but now, you know, post-career, you're the co-founder and CEO of a, um, an app, which is called Clever, C- K-L-E-V, uh, K-L-E-V-R, sorry. Um, I'm not not a great speller, especially when you spell it yeah. improper anyways, but <laughs> you want to talk about that and kind of what it is and what, you know, what what the day-to-day is. And and I know it's, a, you know, Mots and I have both kind of got on it and messed around. You showed us some demos and I know I'm going to be bringing into um, my teams in the near future here. So uh, let's, let's get into that. Yeah. So basically after my career, parents and, and coaches and everyone were asking me to look at some of their kids clips. And in order to do this process before they'd send me a clip and I would draw on a piece of paper at like a timestamp of the parent or coach, to look at a clip, or then I try to use other sport tech platforms, Filmora. So basically in order to take someone's clip before I'd have to use two to three platforms, it'd take me 48 minutes to an hour and 12 minutes later. And also all the other coaches that we looked at and we're like, how do we streamline that process for a coach being able to get a clip and or a parent to teach over it, like annotate it, talk, whatever, draw on it and then share it. And that's what we looked at doing is saving coaches, parents and athletes time by streamlining the clip edit and share process. And that's what clever is. You can now just take a clip you can either upload it from, you know, you can upload it from any live stream. You can also take the clip with our camera. Uh, then you can annotate it and send it. And the big thing is, is our camera, right? Especially at that five to 10 age group, you could stream, you could, you could use the camera for a full game. If nothing happens, you don't tap the clip button. If something happens after an hour, you tap the key, it goes back 15 seconds and deletes the first 59 minutes, right? So how do you just take that little snippet of time that you need? Then you can either send it to family, share it to family, or take it and coach it and share it that way. So We've wanted to connect the three dots, the athlete, parent, and coach. No one in the sport tech market has ever done that. It's an insanely fragmented market, and all the tech is actually built for the elite, and that's what we found. So we've now built a tech that's democratized, and really a parent can now go use it and use it like coaches do. Yeah, I was playing around on it, and you know, I have clips. So like, you don't necessarily need to like record, but you have that ability on your app. They can, um, you know, Someone could record a game and upload it to the app. 
or you could take something from Live Barn. It's not always the great quality that you know you would want to uh, instruct, but uh, the, the, those type of situations where you can, as a, I'm looking at it as a coaching tool, where I can grab a, a clip of a play, show the group of exactly what we want to do. But like for me, it was like I had clips already, and I can already upload them to the app. And then share them within the community correct yeah exactly and the other thing what we've looked at too is not only the video is the the preparation to coaches and the coaches always had an issue especially in the youth market with like hey i want to tell you about this drill i'm coming up with today based on a current situation in the mm -hmm. game because a lot of drills that get based off in a practice are based off of something you see in the game hopefully yeah, we have digital whiteboards. So you can just tap record and you can draw and put your voice all over the digital whiteboard. It's like a hockey whiteboard. And then you can send your practice plan to the coach. You can send it to the kids. The way the elite teams are using it, and even our camera, is more for preparation of a game. So elite teams use it being like, hey, this is our power play. Look at what we're doing. They'll draw it on the whiteboard. You can overlay it over a clip as well. So you can look at your live clip with the digital whiteboard. And then back to the camera, sorry. The camera, the way the elite teams use that is quick share. So it's basically you can have your manager take a clip of uh, goal against and you can send it right to you on the bench or you can look at it in between periods. And now it's more instant video. The other video platforms, it's generally 24 to 72 hours later. So it's not instant. This is just mm -hmm. instant video that you could have and show the show the uh, athlete right then and there. So the biggest piece what we we pride ourselves on is preparation for the youth market and streamlining that clip edit and share process and getting them instant video. And it's a free download. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we're doing right now is we're partnering with a lot of organizations, uh, associations um, across North America and even Europe. And we're offering it for free as long, you know, as a part of getting on to Clever. The current model's free. We're going to end up charging for a piece of the product, meaning like the digital whiteboards at some point. But right now, a lot of partnerships going on with associations to make sure they get everything for free. That's so good. Well, Steger, it's funny. The, you know, we posted on our Instagram today, just on the ring shrinks that the, you know, and it was it was a question just, you know, for discussion. But at what age should uh, you start using video review? So I'll, I guess I'll ask you that as part of a mailbag question. Well, we want our athletes on at five, six, seven years old. The best way to use Clever right now for five, six, seven year olds is to store clips, mm -hmm. have clips to send a family, have clips to send to friends. And not only that, you can use it to teach kids as well. Right. So we have a lot of our main athletes are actually five, six, seven and eight years old. And what we want is we want these athletes to be on till they're 17. And now we're the athlete platform rather than all the other ones that are only designed for kids that are 12 to 17 and then they're off at 19, right? So hey, love. So we have Corinne on it. She's a dancer, right? She, <laughs> she does dancing. So what we've prided ourselves on again is making sure that it's for every athlete, not just the elite athletes, but the house league athletes. And just to make sure that everyone can get on it and use it as a young age. And also store videos. So what we found is right now is young athletes are storing all their clips and they're sending it to spring teams. They're sending it to associations and they're actually getting scouted through Clever. So it's That's actually amazing. another way to store your clips as well and be a database for athletes and parents. That's that's a really good tool to have for young athletes, parents, coaches to be able to use it in multiple different ways. And that's uh, it's actually you're connecting all the dots, like you said, and. The, the youth hockey market needs something like this. And so it's clever, K-L-E-V-R, download it and uh, give it a whirl. And now have you had like some 
tutorials that you have pre-recorded or is it like you have to reach out and if someone ha is having trouble with it uh, so we have yeah we have tutorials in the app there's tutorials on how to use the features but like if you're an organization association a team reach out directly there's a contact us set up a demo and i'll come on with you and we can talk about everything and what's the website just just for the listeners klevr.ai also in the app store klevr.ai and yeah free free app Awesome. Well, Steger, we uh, we can't t thank you enough. Uh, this has been great, and and you know we're looking forward to getting on clever and and really you know bringing it to our teams and and being more and more involved with it. So great stuff. We appreciate you taking the time for 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 us and our listeners. I think this is uh, going to really really resonate with with our you know the people that listen to the show here. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys, and good seeing you again, Mots. All right. Good seeing you, Steger. Take care, buddy. Take care, guys. All right. We'll see you, buddy. This interview was also brought to you by Franklin Street Hockey, the official ball and street hockey partner of the National Hockey League. Frank Franklin has all your hockey needs covered on the ice, to the street, to NHL gear. Head to franklinsports.com for all your hockey essentials and baseball seasons coming up, Mots. Oh, yeah. Get the batting gloves, custom batting gloves. My kids hit me up. They got their names. They got nicknames. They think they're legit on there. Uh, I just tell them to go hit the ball, but the batting gloves are pretty juicy. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the baseball stuff is really, really great, you know, when you look on their website. So make sure you uh, head to franklinsports.com for, .com for all that. And i also like to talk to you about SkitScott. SkitScott is the new video-based social media platform that allows you to use augmented reality filters, picture-in-picture, -picture, layered audio, and more that is only found in costly movie production rooms. SkitScott does not share, trade, or sell the personal information of its users. This app is made in the USA. 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 Get your skitty, skit, skit. Skitty, skitty. Skit, skit. Uh, Mots, I thought that was an awesome interview with Christopher Stieg. Obviously, like, you know, great career, two-time Stanley Cup champ. But I'm really uh, intrigued by this new app, uh, Clever. I know he, he brought it up in the interview, uh, K-L-E-V-R. Uh, it's really cool. And, and he didn't touch on it too much, but like the camera aspect of it, if you have somebody that's video in the game, so let's say they have an iPad or, or whatever it is, uh, and it can just basically be, be like streaming the whole time, but you don't actually have to record, but you, you hit that button and it like, it picks up the play that happened before or that like 15 seconds, it picks up that, that, that prior time. Yeah. Uh, you can scrub it. You can, you can move it so that you don't have to. You upload the whole thing, but then you can move it around. So then right. you can just clip that particular play, whether it be a goal, a, you know, some type of system play, whatever. So it's a great yeah goals for goals against. Right. Yeah. Great uh, teaching tool. And I've been playing around with it and, you know, being able to draw on it and it'll just take a little time to get, uh, you know, kind of acclimated to using it correctly and efficiently. But what a great tool. It's it's a free download. So check it out. Clever on the, uh, in the app store. Yeah. And, uh, Hopefully your drawing's better than that one day we were drawing up the gym. <laughs> uh, it's a PG show, but we can't talk about what he was drawing, but you adults will, will probably figure it out. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was comical. Uh, but, yeah, once again, thanks to Chris for Stieg. That was great. And, and look, and, uh, you know, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, Mots, we had a we we had a men's league legend sighting. Did you guys spot him? Yeah, so we were waiting in the in the car for Brooks before Brooks game, and it was the middle of the day. It was interesting to see some um, older gentlemen walking into the 
the rink for a, an a- afternoon tilt, Sunday afternoon tilt men's league, but a lot of wheelie bags. Uh, and then I was like, hey, you know what? You got to cut them some slack to, if they're a little older. They're old. Yeah, yeah but at, I don't know. I still don't agree with it. Um, no, if you can't play anymore, you if you can't carry your bag anymore, <laughs> you, you, shouldn't you shouldn't play. Yeah, but you never know. They might have a couple 30 racks in there that are pretty heavy. and they, they're Oh, pulling. maybe that's the, the secret. Yeah, yeah. So this guy, this this legend, comes around the corner, stogie in the mouth, dunks <laughs> iced coffee, couple uh, you know older twigs. He needed a new tape job, but um, and then he just you know kind of pulls it out. He's just strolling his walk up to the rink. You know how like the NHL guys get videoed coming into the rink. Mm. This would this would have been epic. You know, like his his from his outfit to the stogie, and he just had a, a presence. So. I'm sure he's a, a leader on his men's league team, and uh, hats off to that legend. Yeah, that's that's an unbelievable look. I don't know how the lungs feel on the ice after a, a, a wiffle ball bat in his mouth the whole game, <laughs> uh, walking into the rink. I'd usually wait for the post game stoke, but um, good for him. That's how to bring the heat. You know what I mean? He probably had chicks and stuff in the stands too. You know what I mean? He probably seemed like one of those guys. Uh, we do have to settle a bet here. Uh, Mott's and I obviously put a little wager. Uh, I'm going to have to ride the Peloton with a BC jersey on. So when you can pull that thing out of the raft is at a Conti forum, I'll, I'll gladly throw it on and, and go for a few rides, but, uh, I'm not doing it till I get the, I get the BC jersey. I'll tell you that much. Cause I got a UNH jersey in the car just in case <laughs> you got it like a JIC just in case a UNH jersey. <laughs> Uh, I, I got to dig it up, you know, back in the day, those things weren't real, um, kind of like breathable. Like it is like a wool sweater. So you're going to get a nice sweat. Um, you yeah, know, I won't need my sauna suit. Right. So we, uh, you know, it was actually a really good game. Uh, we, you know, watching it, uh, UNH came back and forced overtime and, um, uh, McLaughlin from, uh, not McLaughlin was a McBain, I think scored in the, uh, overtime, but, uh, always good to have a friendly little wager, and and Courtney went to UNH, so it was like a two on one on that on that end. I sh- we should have looped her into this, but um, yeah, she probably had a couple of UNH jerseys in the closet then. Uh, yeah, no, that was uh, that was fun. The uh, I actually ran into to Coach Souza up at uh, I forgot to tell him about the best, but I uh, about the bet and that he lost it for me, but uh, I teed him up with the hat. I gave him a hat. Right. He was one of our first guests. Yeah, was. It was great to see him, and he said we uh, we got to get out on the golf course. So that was uh, that was really cool. Um, I know you want to talk to him about some other podcast. Yeah, so I mean, it, we just kind of had an interesting conversation. Uh, you know, my wife Courtney walks and listens to the pod, and you know she's you know she's a big fan. You know, at times, and <laughs> I hope so. She's the CEO. So then uh, she just got to talking about like what she's really passionate about and it's serial killer podcasts and, um, you know, having lengthy conversations. And I really do think that she's just kind of figuring a way to, you know, get away with it and dispose of the body. So (laughs) at the end of the day, she's just, she's just getting intel, but, uh, you know, as far as podcasts go, I think this is the more uh, you know PG version of what she should be listening to. But I just got a good laugh where she's like, "Yeah, I love these podcasts, and it makes my walk go by pretty quick." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd probably be a little bit scared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Uh, 
Yeah, hon, you might want to stay with the PG ring shrinks and, and focus on that stuff. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, good luck. Uh, hopefully you up the life insurance and everything. And, and we should, you know, does your 50 of the ring shrinks come to me or does it go to her? Oh, it, no, it would go right to you. So. All right, good. At least, at least we're good. Maybe you're in. Under underground or in the water. Oh, exactly. That's hilarious. Um, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this week. Uh, next week is a mailbag mailbag episode. So fill up the mailbag. Uh, email us any questions. Rinkshrinks at gmail com. Or leave us a voicemail three four seven six shrink. Leave a couple tonight, like when you're out, like St. Patty's Day. You know what I mean? Like getting after it this weekend, or you run around salty all on Sunday at the parade. I uh, can't wait for that, by the way. Amateur hour. I can't wait to work. But you can also hit us up on the social media stuff: Instagram at the Rink Shrinks, Twitter at Rink Shrinks, and uh, Facebook the Rink Shrinks. Uh, and make sure you head up, head over to the website therinkshrinks.com and get yourself some Rink Shrinks swag. We got some hats, we got some shirts, we got these cool little shamrock shirts we got going here that are St. Patty's Day theme. But I mean, yeah, they're pretty legit. They're pretty legit. I'm an Irishman. I like to wear the stuff year round. Uh, quick reminder: registration is open for the uh, Six Line Camp Monday nights, which I think is actually just filled up. But we got a couple other things coming up uh, in the summer we're gonna we're, we're looking at putting some stuff together i've gotten a bunch of questions in the last few days once again thank you to the sponsors my hockey rankings franklin skit scott devo uh, with cross country mortgage jack corbett and the kelleher group morgan stanley uh what do you say cue the rink shrink shuffle